0: Welcome to the Church Planting Podcast. My name is Josh Taransky, and I'll be your host for this episode. Ken Sutton is our guest today. He's a cereal planter who has primarily been focused in the northwest corner of the U.S. He currently leads City on a Hill in Arlington, Washington. I've known Ken since 2012, and I've gleaned amazing lessons from his example over the years. We're so grateful that he gave us 30 minutes of his time for this interview. Stay posted also for some follow-up commentary after the interview is done. Uh, You're Ken Sutton. You Mm -hmm. have uh, a family, kids. Tell us a little bit about your family.
1: Well, I met my wife, Lynn, at the University of Oregon back in the 80s. She was the captain of the women's golf team there, a great golfer, amateur golfer. And she's Japanese. Her name is Lynn Yanomoto Sutton. And she was a fairly new believer raised in a nominal kind of Christian slash Buddhist home uh, up in Canada. And uh, we met each other and kind of fell in love over a period of a year or two and had very little to nothing in common with each other except for the Lord. And uh, after getting married in 1991, about a year into our marriage, we were watching CNN back then that was the only cable news network. I think that you could see on TV and they had all these stories of orphanage babies and the disarray with the orphanage system in Romania, especially in Transylvania. And for whatever reason that just piqued our curiosity and we began to pray and ultimately about a year and a half into our marriage we had a garage sale we sold both of our cars we sold all of our wedding gifts we had about three thousand dollars in our pockets and this was i guess february 1993 and we bought airline tickets and moved to romania and we lived on that three thousand dollars for almost an entire year and ultimately we planted a church there to include romania and just to give you the short story here when i was Um, in Eastern Europe one day Lynn and I just happened to be driving through a city in Hungary on our way to Austria that we had never driven through in our life and we decided to stop and get a Whopper at Burger King and lo and behold the man who would ultimately be my pastor for the next 20 years uh, was there having a Whopper as well, his name is Brian Bruderson, and he was just driving through town on his way to Austria too visiting Mm -hmm. Europe from San Diego. Wow. And we became friends and I ended up working for him and uh, have worked for him off and on for 20 years, but a good close friend. And anyway, that was a total divine appointment. And through the years, Lynn and I have um, just been all over the place. We planted as an assistant and a senior pastor, two other churches in England. And we planted a couple here in Washington uh, through the years. So anyway, that's a little bit about my bio. Wow. Um, in the middle of some of those church planting um, experiences, I also was a teaching pastor at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and I hosted the Pastor's Perspective program there for many years, as did you, my friend Josh Cheransky. That's right. That's where and we met. Yeah, I love doing that. Yeah. That's where we met.
0: Yeah. Man, we had a great time. 2012, I think, is when we met. And I learned a lot from you. There's a couple of things that I wanted to distill from my time of working with you um, that I think would be helpful for people to, I, th- I think young guys could glean from. And, and one of them just kind of came to mind when you were talking. You, you are like the cheapest person I know. Like you're not about like raising a whole lot of money to start a church, yet you've, you've planted three Mhm. So, um, how do you plant churches <laughs> uh being such a cheap person? And these are these are successful churches, right? I mean, you're not planted three churches because uh the first two failed. Mm-hmm. You've planted these churches and they've been uh healthy and you've turned them over to a, a next generation of leadership. So, um, how do you plant a church on a shoestring, shoestring budget?
1: Well, we don't call it cheap in in this uh in this church planting mission that we have, we call it the spiritual gift of value, the spiritual gift of value. That's kind of the, the the term that I've coined through the years. Um, Well, you know, this whole idea, I, you know, I don't want to say that there's a wrong way of planting or a right way when it comes to finances. I've got, I've had some friends through the years that have been given huge checks, like in the hundreds of thousands of dollars by their church, when they've left to go plant a church and four or five years later, you know, the money's gone. It's kind of, you know, sometimes it's a huge blessing. Sometimes it's not a blessing at all to be, to have a lot of uh, funds before you go out. So anyway, Lynn and I, we financed Calvary Everett in Everett, Washington. We went there in 2008. We financed that because we have invested some of our savings into a biotech stock. The only one that we'd ever owned. And woke up one day and realized that the company had sold and we wound up with about $90,000 in our bank account. And so we didn't feel like we needed to ask anyone for anything. We just went and we used the funds that we had. And the amazing thing is, Josh, is we got to Everett and we were prepared to start buying some of the things we needed, Mm. uh, like a sound system or some children's ministry things. But within one week of starting our church, I got a phone call from a guy I'd never met. And he said, can you meet me at the Costco? I need to talk to you out in uh, Arlington, Washington. So I said, sure, drove out there. He just walked up and said, this is for the church. It was a $10,000 check. And um, he walked away. I think I've only seen him once since. Wow. And so we didn't even need to dip into our savings at all. The Lord just provided from day one there. And then this church here that we're planting, sitting on a hill, We started in Everett. We started with probably 30 people, adults and children, which I think is a really good group. And we've been self-supporting pretty much from the very beginning. We just started almost three years ago. The church now with children, uh, on a Sunday, if if most people are there, is pushing about 100 people. And, you know, I work odd jobs. I speak at other churches uh, to help take care of the finances. But, you know, we pay all of our bills and we've never had to get up and ask for money. And just the Lord has provided. We buy a lot of stuff on Craigslist. Um, We don't make purchases until we have to make purchases. Mm. I can pretty much tell you where I was, where every major purchase was made in our church and how much we paid for it still to this day. Mm. I buy everything on sale. I try to buy the best stuff I can off Craigslist for the least amount of money. So our sound system, uh, we got on sale a great sound system. The chairs, the 100 padded chairs uh, were donated by a family. The grand piano was donated to us without asking for any of these things, was donated by a apartment complex. Our 65-inch TV that we used for the words in our chapel was donated. Wow. Yeah. yeah, even the paint that we painted with, Sherwin-Williams had a mistent and said that they'd be glad to give it away. So this, this is the last thing I'll say, is I don't ever do this with an attitude of can we get Something free because we're a church. You just pray, ask the Lord to provide, and we just try to do everything we can for the least amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. Just got to have that mentality that you're not out spending a bunch of money.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So um, let's talk about people work. Um, You and I work together, and one of the things that impressed me being around you was seeing you always on your phone touching base with people. So the church that I'm planting, um, you know, we see different people coming through on a Sunday, um, and what I've learned is that Sundays are so fast, it's hard to have quality connections with people, and um, there's care that has to pl- take place during the week, and I am oftentimes have you as an image in my head. Um, what does it look like for you um, to care for people in, in the church planting uh, early days of of starting a church?
1: Okay, well, everything has changed. Everything has changed since I started this, um, you know, venture of faith is what we would call it in the Calvary Chapel, but this endeavor to plant churches 25 years ago. So we were still using flannel graphs 25 years ago. We were still, we didn't know what a website was 25 years ago. We didn't have an email when we were in Romania 25 years ago. So everything has changed. You know, I used to not text anybody. I thought that was silly, just call them. Now I text like crazy. I've got a church email. I've got a private email. I've got a Catholic Chapel email. So just the amount on social media and email and text and the amount of communication that takes place today and the way that we do ministry today, the way we podcast today, et cetera, et cetera, it's just changed radically. Here's what I do. Everyone in my church has my phone number. And uh, it's not that way in a big church, but in a smaller church, pretty much everyone has my phone number. And I don't contact the ladies in the church with text messages, um, but I do a lot of the guys. So a lot of the guys, not all of them, but a lot of the guys that I'm reaching out to, they're going to get a text from me every week, every couple of weeks. I have a you know men's ministry every other week. We meet for a steak dinner, usually a steak dinner. Um, at the church and, uh, you know, our church is barely three years old. We've already got a Traeger smoker and we've got two huge grills. So we do a ton of barbecuing at our church. And so we'll have 15 men come in for a steak and then we'll pray together and have some time in the word. But my point is, is that I follow up with all those guys. If there's prayer requests, I follow up with them. Mm. I make calls and, and it's just because exactly what you said is that Sunday morning, you, you get FaceTime for 30 seconds to a minute with somebody and you've just got to follow up. So I just feel like, you know, it's important for guys to get the attention that their pastor knows that they're praying, you know, I'm praying for them Yeah. and think of them and um, following up. Yeah. So it's a big part of big part of what I do. And there's a few other things. If someone calls, you need to call them back. If someone emails you, you need to email them back. If someone texts you, you need to text them back. Hmm. Pastors that don't do that, it just drives me nuts. Why? Because we pastor small churches, you and I, and, you know, we are here to provide care. We're not Jesus, but we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And, you know, we have a responsibility to those that attend our church to make sure that, that we're praying for them and that we're caring for them. So, if they're in the hospital, and you know, it just blows my mind when I hear about churches where an elder or deacon or the pastor of a small church can't get out to the hospital within you know a reasonable amount of time to to visit someone who's sick from your church. I just can't believe that. And so all of those things are important so people know that they're being cared for. this is this is what we this is what we do for life. You know, this
0: is pastoral ministry. So, um, you mentioned you don't text the women. How who who ch- ch- touches base with them and how yeah. how do uh does your wife text text them or Because yeah, I re- I remember working with you, you're just like you're 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 very uh, faithful just to um communicate on a regular basis and just check in. No agenda. One of your favorite questions you ask is how you doing? Yeah. And then you ask it again, like five minutes later, How you doing?
1: Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't, I like have a hard, fast rule about, um, you know, texting the ladies in the church. Um, you know, Lynn does that Lynn, my wife, uh, you know, helps lead the women's ministry with a couple of older ladies, um, you know, in their sixties that attend our church. And so they, they've got that network with them, but we're, we're, it's a pastoral thing. Um, I'll just talk to them at church, um, And then Facebook, so Facebook has changed the whole, the whole, uh, Mm. way of communicating as you know, but what we do is we have a private, it's called private prayer and community page. And then I think that's a great place for me to communicate with, with everybody in our church because it's an open forum. So Mm. I love that. Yeah. Um, our prayer and community page is like nothing I've ever experienced in any church. Why? Um, it's different than anything I've ever had because, one, it's used. And it's and you know as well as I do, these things don't get used across the board from everybody in the church unless they really see um, the need for it and how the Lord's using it. And so um, a lady came up to me maybe three or four months into this, uh, two and a half years ago. Came up to me and said, "Can I start a private prayer and community where they got to join and we share our prayer requests and a few announcements, but mainly just for prayer and you know those kinds of things?" Said, Absolutely. And you know that's always my attitude with ministry. If you're qualified to do it, then yeah, just release people in the ministry and see what the Lord will do. And so she started it, and it's just taken off. I mean, on any given week, we have between five and 15 prayer requests that are pretty, you know, a lot of them are intense, Mm. you know, just I need prayer for my child or, you know, we don't have a place to live or whatever it might be. And so um, I comment on all of those things and uh, in a public forum. And then, you know, our church is just this whole community page has just been one of the greatest ministries we've got in the church. And then we meet at 945 before church for prayer, um, for our prayer meeting. And we essentially, every Sunday, one of us goes through all the Facebook prayer requests, uh, you know, well over a dozen a week. And we just pray over those as well as all the other needs that we have in the church. So,
0: Is that 15 minutes before church starts? Can you start at 10?
1: No, it's 45 minutes, so it's a half-hour prayer meeting, and then then we break for coffee for 15 minutes. And then, you know, we'll have anywhere from four to a dozen people show up for prayer. And I'm one of those guys that believes that if you can try to, you know, I don't want to have a separate prayer meeting per se on a separate night of the week. I like having things Mm. at the times when people already have to be at church. So, you know, people are coming at 1030 if they want to show up early for prayer. It's a lot easier than driving out on a right. dark Tuesday night in the rain. Right. So.
0: Okay. That's great. So w- with this current church, sitting on a Hill, um, this last church that you planted, it's you said it's three years old? It's about three years old?
1: Yeah, it'll be three years old on Valentine's Day, uh, February of 2019.
0: Okay. Now this church was unique because you didn't um, initially start with a web page. You had um, some reasons for that. So how how do people know that you're starting a church when you don't even have a website?
1: Yeah, well, we did have a web page marker um, that someone in the church put up, and it was up for a year. Then it have just had the name of the church and and it had the email, and then it had the uh, the times and the location with a church logo, we didn't brand our church uh someone just sent me some things by email and said i mocked these up for you ken if you want to use them they're all yours and <laughs> i said great thanks they look great that's what we use and it's, we use it still to this day <laughs> you kill me man we
0: don't buy that. I, you're so funny <laughs> you take you, you just uh we don't value right is that, is that what you said the spiritual gift of value you just take what people send you
1: well it's not It's not just value, because you and I both know, we've done this before when we were dealing with CalvaryChapter.com. You know, you can spend that 99 bucks, which is virtually nothing. And frankly, I can do it myself with my graphic background. I can do it myself. But that wasn't driven as much by cost as it just was by, I just was over it. I wasn't really in the mood to have a website, to maintain a website. We didn't have a church bulletin. Um, We don't, even to this day, we don't podcast. We don't record the messages. I'm just over it, Josh, just to be honest. And I'm not against any of this stuff. I think podcasting is great. I think having a really functional website is great. I think having a YouTube channel is great. All that stuff's great, but I'm just not going to do it. If somebody in our church comes up and says, I'm gifted in this area and their heart's in the right place and they want to do it, then that's great. They can do it. But Um, but how do you... But if you want to get down...
0: Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Give me the brass
1: tacks. Let's get down to brass tacks. I was just I was just out in California meeting with about 40 pastors with the Calvary Global Network, and they had the Calvary Chapel worship conference going on. And, you know, they they had they had the main hall. uh, Scott Cunningham, the leader of that, he had it decked out really nice. He was flying the speakers up in the air um, had black matting all around the edges of the, you know, from the stage all the way to the end of the walls. He had, you know, lasers, he had um, great lights, he had um, fog, everything. And, it, wow. and and literally it was on a smaller scale what I experienced when I took my son just a few days later when I got home to a 21 Pilots concert at the Tacoma Dome. It was, it was pretty elaborate. So just to get down to brass tacks. I don't want to do any of that. Hmm. I don't want to do any of that. First, I don't want to spend money on it, but if somebody were to give it to me, we'd figure out how to use some of these things. I don't have somebody to run it for me. I don't have Hmm. any of those things. So we have a real super simple layout. Um, our everything that we do is at this point, is just incredibly, uh, chill, our website, I did it myself in about five hours, our newest website. It's it's real easy to navigate. We didn't have online giving for probably two years. We started that maybe nine months ago. And we're just kind of taking things as we go and not getting too carried away because in the past, I felt like we had to have at least functionality. We had to have as much as you know, a church of four or five hundred people, we had to have a little bookshop, we had to have a good, you know, website, we had to, had to have multimedia, and then I was knocking myself out trying to get all this stuff done, and, uh, and I just felt like, you know, when it came down to just being a pastor, I was losing sight of the main thing, which is caring for people's souls, and following Jesus and caring for people and praying for people. So I've kind of reversed course with this church plant. And it doesn't mean that any of those other things are bad. I just don't have the time to put together the multimedia. So right. we have a guy in our church that started that for us. He does a great job. I don't have to worry about it. And that's another rule that I've got is, you know, I don't cross lanes. If I've got somebody that's proficient, they know what they're doing in, in the church. You know, they, they run the coffee ministry or they run the women's ministry or they run, run the children's ministry, the media ministry. I don't cross into their lane. I feel like the Lord gave us the right people for those jobs. That's really key. Maturity a big key. They're gifted, and so I don't mess around with it. You pick the songs, you're the worship person, and, and you've got a half hour. And if there's something that we need to talk about, we'll talk about it. But essentially, we're just going to go with the flow. And mm-hmm. I don't get in your lane, you don't get in my lane. And so I just see myself as a minister to those uh, people rather than a boss. And uh, well, don't know if that makes sense, but that's...
0: No, that's good. I, so if there was a 20-year-old came to me and said what you just said of like, I'm not, you know, I'm going to have a minimalist website, you know, we're not going to podcast, we're not going to do online giving. I would like want to punch him in the face because I'd be like, um, you know, it would just sound so arrogant, but you have this track record of successfully planting churches and it doesn't come from a place of arrogance. It comes from this place of, of like, you have this sense of confidence that like God, God's going to do it. You know, he's going to bring people. And I mean, you were telling me the other day, like you're you're at a point where sometimes you're like almost have feel like you have too many people based off your facility. And just it's it just it, it's weird for me to hear you say those kind of things, knowing the, the, the crowd that I run with, where it's just like there's all these these um, boxes you've got to check in order to really be a good steward over the church you're planting. Mm-hmm. But yet what you're saying totally makes sense knowing your story. Yeah that you've seen God right. grow these churches.
1: We're not even at three years. And like I said, with children and adults, we, we're right at about 100 people now. That's amazing. And I have heard multiple times, you probably have too, Josh, of guys that have been planting churches and they're there for three years and they've got like 40 people and they're like, I'm ready to give up. You know, God's not doing anything. And I'm thinking 40 people after three years, that's great you're planting a church, you know, it just takes time. And, and you just got to keep, stay the course if God's got you there. And um, so, you know, you can start with a team. And I think you've got a team there. You can start with a team. You can bring in a team and you, you know, I, you can start with your children's ministry on Sunday mornings and your worship, and you can have a team put together. We didn't really have a team, didn't really desire a team. Um, when we got here, we probably had 15 children in the children's ministry right away. So I knew I needed to take care of that. And, um, but we already had, you know, we had two ladies that were in their thirties they're both moms and they both um, stepped forward and said, you know, we'd like to try to lead some worship. We've never led worship before. So the first two years I thought were like spring training for us in the church. I didn't want to go out and find a really great worship leader necessarily. I didn't want to go out, even though we have great worship leaders, I just didn't want to go out and, hire somebody Um, and I didn't want to farm anything out. We just wanted to kind of, you know, I kept telling the church, it's like we're in spring training. We're just developing our systems. We're learning how to lead worship. We're learning how to develop a Sunday school ministry with the folks that are volunteering. And then all of a sudden, right at the two year mark, we actually got a building uh, that was rented to us that seats about a hundred people, really nice, building, good facility, really good price. And it's almost like that building combined with hitting a a good space in ministry as far as our worship teams, our children's ministry, and spending those two years, you know, getting everything set in place, it just hit at the right time. And so we moved in in February and probably by May, June, July, August doubled in size. And we're able to accommodate all these new kids and all these new families. And so that's kind of what I mean. I, I didn't really want to get out ahead of myself right. and and start making this seem like we were, you know, we, I've always wanted people to know we're a little church out on the edge of town kind of vibe. Hmm. So, no, it's not. It's just I just have done this enough times to where I don't feel like I have to get the uh, uh, so many of these um you know things like the website and podcasting. I just didn't feel like I needed to go down that road yet one of these days Maybe maybe one of these days. We'll have a fog machine, but at this point we're just kind of <laughs> Taking it easy <laughs> uh,
0: Okay to, to finish up here you um, you had mentioned you had said something like one of my rules is and um, What are some of your other rules?
1: Okay, real quick um, other rules Always lead with the heart you know so if you've got somebody like okay like our two ladies that lead worship they they're very gifted and they were they're good musicians great singers but they weren't worship leaders they were very nervous you know it just wasn't it wasn't polished worship but but if you lead with the heart meaning if if you've got someone whose heart is in the right place you can teach them a skill set or they can learn their they can learn and and you know practice that gift and develop that gift with the right heart, and you're in really good shape in a couple years with somebody. but if you if you lead with the gift and the gifting and the skill set, but their heart's not in the right place, it's it's a bummer. Wow. So you know if you're, if you're a church planter, I mean, I have honestly had worship leaders where I went out and got them vocal lessons, paid for vocal lessons. Cause their heart was in such a good place they were such a good instrumentalist but their singing just wasn't quite there and then you know they became really good singers with some coaching that i could not provide so lead with the heart go with the heart if their heart's in the right place then you can pretty much know that they'll grow into the role but if, if they're really gifted but they're a pain to deal with that's just a rule i've got just you know no matter how gifted they are, if they're difficult to work with, it's not it's not worth it. So that's one thing. Two, I already told you, I stay in my lane as much as I can. You know, we have a worship director here uh, who is in his mid sixties. Uh, he's been a Calvary guy forever, and he's not our worship leader. He's our worship pastor, and hmm. he he leads all of that. I don't have to worry about it, and uh, I don't I know I don't call him and say I need you to do a little more of this or that or this. I just let him do his thing. And I don't always have to agree with every song that gets sung. And I don't have to necessarily agree with the way everything's done. I just am blessed that I have someone that does it who's got their heart in the right place. Yeah. So I try to stay in my lane. I don't lead the women's ministry, I empower our children's ministry guy to do children's ministry. And yeah, are there times when I may have to step in and say, well, this is kind of, yeah, so there, there's sometimes there's a little molding and coaching that has to, of course, take place. But ultimately, I feel like my role is to tell those people that I love them, that they're doing a fine job, to let them know I'm here for them, and to minister to them. And that served me well, rather than feeling like I got to get my fingers stuck in everyone's job. Yeah, so stay in my lane. And other people need to stay in their lane, too. So. No, that's great. Yeah, there's plenty plenty of things, you know, but those are some good ones when you're planting a church. Uh, I guess the last thing I'd say is um, because of our church government and the Calvary Chapel, we've got this thing where the pastors kind of can become more of a, not just a strong leader, but more of a controller is... Um, you know, just that guys need to be careful, church planters need to be careful that they're not micromanaging and controlling people because it takes all the all the enjoyment and joy out of ministry when you're getting controlled. I just think, you know, just let the church grow. And if, if somebody's got their own spaghetti recipe, great. Use your own spaghetti recipe. You don't need to use mine. And uh, if you got a different way of doing things, just do it and we'll enjoy it. I don't feel like I have to sit here and and have the blueprint perfectly written out for the church. Just kind of let the people do their thing and prayerfully, you know, it doesn't get out of control or it doesn't go sideways.
0: Wow. Man, that's awesome. I appreciate that. We'll have to come back and visit some more um, uh, rules, rules for church uh, planting or rules for leadership. That stuff's more than just church planting. You are you are one of the most uh, self aware leaders that I know. Very intuitive, thoughtful, and uh, and successful. God's uh, fruit fruitful, so and I'm
1: and I'm cheap, and am Dude, Don't you are that.
0: cheap. You are cheap. <laughs> that's a good. Uh, that's good. So that's you called that the value spirit, the gift of spiritual spiritual gift of value. Spiritual gift of value.
1: Gift of value.
0: Take that one. Yes. We'll take one, that one to the bank.
1: There you go.
0: All right, Ken. Thank you so much. Good talking with you. I appreciate it. God bless you. You just listened to uh, Ken Sutton. I did. I did. Uh, So what are some things that you think are of
2: value in what Ken is saying? Uh, Well, first of all, it stood out to me like his, uh, you know, I, I interact with so many people who are a part of the young restless reform circle or the like SBC circle. I would say ninety five percent of my interactions are there. So to to hear somebody talk for thirty minutes who's in another squarely in another tribe, it's just I'll, I'm always reminded of how much our peers influence the culture of even what we do in our churches and how we talk and the sort of vernacular we use. So Yeah. That's a bit anecdotal, but it was just interesting to hear him talk in you know terms that and emphasize things that nobody in our circles emphasize. You know, even interestingly, like when he, when you brought up the thing about him being frugal, and um, I get the sense when I talk to folks from Calvary Chapel that that's a thing that's celebrated. You know, um, is kind of gritty. The small, the root for the underdog kind of thing, is that true? Yeah, uh, in can it's different. I would say there
0: is that there because there you know in the Calvary history like they'll take any building right. and turn it into a church like right. so building uh, shape. Speaking
2: of that, last week I was in Puerto Rico and I went to Calvary Chapel Puerto Rico just oh, really? for fun, what and were they, using? they were in the basement of a nail salon. They totally. had to go through the nail salon, yeah. <laughs> like past it, and then down the stairwell. But you got down there and you seated hundreds of people. It was like huge. But you, the way you had to get there was so odd. W- walking in, I would have thought this is breaking every rule. Yeah. yeah.
0: I would say, so I would generally, uh, from my lengthy experience in Calvary Chapel, I would um, not praise them for uh, their allocation of funds. Yeah. Or their use of funds is uh, kind of reflects, I think, a different age, like yeah. an earlier church age. Yeah. Um. So, like, what you're hearing from Ken is uh, more of just a yeah a frugality. Um,
2: just in him personally, you think? Yeah. 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 Well, it's part. It, I I think if if he were an SBC guy, for example, having a or an Acts 29 guy, even worse, or having that conversation. Yeah. I think that would consistently be met with pushback totally um where probably in the calvary chapel world it's met with yeah that's cool man
0: yeah and the thing
2: you got to be careful of with with that
0: and, and the like so i love him i worked yeah. with him for two years and i know him yeah but anybody else who's doing what he does yeah. sounds totally lazy yeah. and it doesn't work right. like it's not You're it's right, not right, a replicable right. thing yeah i don't think unless you have like his skill set Uh because he's he's successfully planted multiple churches yeah but like i said on the podcast or in the interview like if some young guy said exactly what you're telling me
2: like there's no way they're going to get funding there's no way they're going to get help yeah in fact at assessment sometimes we'll run into guys who'll say like you know i live. i remember one guy recently saying "I, i live a simple life i don't need much Uh, if you give me nothing, I'm still good. I'm still going to do this. And in one part that's endearing, but another part of me says like, this guy just doesn't know the reality of living in a urban city and trying to care for your family. Um, maybe he, uh, doesn't, doesn't understand that yet. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so that stood out the frugality piece. Um, I, I wish there were a bit more of that ingenuity, um, Doing the best we can with what we have instead of assuming that there has to be something has to be, you know, kind of on all fronts legitimate in order to reach our society. I just don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's I think there there's a place for that and that produces a certain kind of church that reaches a certain kind of people. But I feel like we have almost no representation of those who have Ken's point of view in our in our in my work right now. Totally. The only people who could even slightly be considered having that point of view is our immigrants, and we certainly have no white guys or African American guys who are talking like that. Yeah. Uh, and I wish we had a bit more of it. So I think the interview was helpful just just for that, just a reminder that you know you can still do legitimate gospel growth ministry. You know, on on a shoestring, yeah, on a shoestring, and on the the fact that he. He you know, he was talking about that investment they made that that panned out and then instead of saying, Hey, let's go raise the money so we can protect that investment, they they just said, Let's use that investment and God protected the investment. It was just such a good story, a reminder of God's provision. And, yeah. And then uh the other thing that stood out is this pastoral heart. I mean, you just you know, and it's not like I, I find that there's two kinds of people that talk about pastoral um stuff in uh and it's like he it usually comes across like We talk a lot about pastoral, how it's important for us to be shepherds, care of our flock, you know, that that's kind of the primary thing that we do. Um, But then in practice, I don't necessarily see people spending a lot of their time on that. spend a lot of time on sermon preparation, a lot of time on organizing outreach, a lot of time on kind of corporate things for the church and having meetings. But just the fact that you spent time with him and he was so consistently you know, finding practical ways, even say I was challenged when he said, I think he essentially said, I text all the dudes in my church at least every other week or something like that. And I was like, man, that's not true of me at all. The steak dinner thing too was cool. I was like, I was like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's both pastoral and practical, like dudes like red meat. So cook some and talk with them you know
0: yeah when i worked with him he was the men's pastor at a mega church where we both like so he had left one church he planted and he was the and so
2: yeah he was great with the men yeah 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 it's good i i just uh encouraged by the whole conversation and uh, there were at least two or three things that i'll personally you know take and seek to implement from that conversation so it was cool, cool. good
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Church Planting Podcast. We'll be back next week with a new episode.